0: Bill O'Reilly on the Glenn Beck program. Rachel Maddow is the number one show on MSNBC. Did That's you just call 40 her 40... Rachel? M- Rachel Maddow? Oh, Rachel. Rachel. Okay. R A C H E L. No. Rachel lost about 40 percent of her audience. Now why? You can tune in every night and see Miss Maddow hate Trump. So people have had it. Even the people who do hate Trump, <laughs> they've had it. You know, enough. It's just seeped into the soul of the American public that they're being conned. Bill O'Reilly on the Glenn Beck program. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Just a humble doctor, Phoenix, Arizona, week to week doing the work of reform, addressing what I think are the problems that only we Muslims can address. How many Muslims do you know wake up in the morning and say, what's going to be our legacy for keeping America safe? Maybe many, maybe most, I don't know. But I hope this program is a place that you find the beginning of a conversation with your loved ones, with your neighbors, with your community, and especially with the Muslim community about what are they doing to fix the root cause of the greatest threat The global security today, political Islam, theocratic Islam, radical Islam, all pretty much synonyms of the same problem, which is the theocratic interpretation of a faith that has yet to go through an enlightenment and to go through a deep reformation against the theocrats. This week I want to take you on sort of a around the world in political Islam around the world while again we sit distracted for most of the time here in the west countries like indonesia saudi arabia turkey austria and the united states across the world are grappling with political islam what's happening there let's start with indonesia indonesia is a secular country based on its constitution the only muslim majority country possibly other than tunisia right now that at its core has a national identity rooted rooted in the separation of mosque and state but yet is over 90 percent muslim and now as they gear for, for their presidential elections coming up They're still riling from the controversy that happened with the Chinese Christian mayor who was ousted and then imprisoned for blasphemy in a country that supposedly was moderate. And I think there's a lot to be learned. Number one, I think what we can learn here is that the world is asleep. I know you all knew that. And the Islamists, even where Muslims are a majority, are not being countered by an ideological opposition. The ideological, ideological opposition to the Islamists, who are yet a minority in Indonesia, but a vocal minority, the ideological opposition to them is simply appeasement. Even within Muslim countries, it's appeasement, and let's talk about Indonesia, and you'll see why appeasement is even the response within the Muslim community, let alone here in America, France, Austria, Denmark, Finland, in the West, where there's a lot of guilt feelings, a sense of inferiority because of colonialism and all the other nonsense that that the Islamists like to push down our throat in their offense, Well, we continue to play defense as if we have something to be apologetic for which all too often the left especially feel the necessity to do. So in Indonesia, they start talking about campaigns. The current president, Joko Widodo, wants to seek a second term. And yet there's a large group of loud Islamists protesting and then ultimately ended up in the defeat of the Jakarta mayor, on blasphemy laws in which he was indicted. They thought it would be dismissed after he resigned. But then ultimately, the governor of the area, a Widodo ally from ja- from Jakarta's ethnic Chinese, ultimately then was indicted and imprisoned. Also known as Purnama, this case basically centered on the fact that was he deceiving people. He even quoted from the Qur'an himself and said that to say that Muslims should be not led by non-Muslims showed how Islam had crept into politics in the officially secular country. So he basically was citing the Qur'an to tell his constituents who were 90% Muslim that Muslims can be led by non-Muslims. So what they did was they turned it back on him in an offense and said that he was misinterpreting the Qur'an and actually using it to incite blasphemy and to ruin the interpretation of Islam. That's exactly what Islamists do. I've covered that case a few uh, a year and a half ago when it happened. And yet any action against this Islamist enragement against Purnama and others at the time and still to today is blasted as anti-Muslim, is blasted as Islamophobic, and is blasted as un-Islamic. The president now is trying to deal with this. According to the laws in Indonesia, mosques actually cannot be used, religious facilities cannot be used for campaigning or political endorsements. He has a double-digit lead against the Jandaras party, Subyatano. A retired general is expected to run a second time against Widodo in 2019. Now, there are some hardline Islamic groups, especially the ones that brought about this blasphemy case last year. And they have begun the instigation. This is the classic Islamist method, which is to incite on social media that the president is not actually Muslim and is a descendant of ethnic Chinese because of his relationships, because of his interpretations of moderate Islam and a separation of mosque and state, which actually runs at the core of Indonesian constitutionalism, but that doesn't matter. So the only way that the Islamists can win is by lying, deceit, and claiming that their opponents are anti-Islam. And yet they claim separation from the messaging coming from mosques. So now this group is beginning to violate the long tradition in Indonesia from its founding 60 plus years ago. In which they said there would be a separation. And no political political campaigning in the mosques. And now ultimately he is saying, the head of the conservative party, is saying that he has nothing to do with what's being said in the mosques. But... As some have said, if the hashtag and the movement works for you, why not use it? So, there's sermons going around saying that in Indonesia, it's the duty of Muslims to try and replace the current president who's betrayed the country and betrayed his religion. They accuse Widodo of selling the country to foreigners and empowering communists and deviant religious sects. Now, even though the law says there's no campaigning, Reports have said there's unfortunately very little they can do. I mean, how else when they're constantly running defense, you see a ethnic Chinese Christian governor now serving time for blasphemy using a modern interpret moderate interpretation of a quranic verse. How does that happen in a state where the majority tells you that was not supposed to happen and yet it did. So the message to all of you in what's happening in Indonesia, the message to all of you, where are the Muslim voices in Indonesia? The ones that have a nationalism in which to embrace, in which they can reject this movement, to go into the streets and lift up the voices. And those voices exist. The NU, the NU I've talked to leadership of them, including a, a, an organization based in the United States called lib for all the former president of Indonesia, at the turn of the century, Abdurrahman Wahid, and some of his colleagues now, Abdurrahman Wahid passed away, but he was a moderate president, worked closely with the NU, a, a Sunni Sufi order that accepts and embraces Indonesian nationalism, separation of mosque and states, and rejects The Hamas version of the Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood ideology of the movements I've been telling you about. But yet, if you look in Indonesian media, there is some messaging to push back. It needs to be highlighted not only there, but globally. The NU at least those pushing back to maintain the secular state of Indonesia, to maintain a pushback against the Islamists, need our support, need our platforms, and we need to begin to augment the voices of interpretations of Islam that are rejecting the Islamists that still are a minority in Indonesia. And yet, we're beginning to see a debate happening Led by the violent, radical voices of Islamists that are telling those who do not adhere to Islamism that they're not Muslims. So they're basically doing takfir, calling them kafirs or infidels, separating them from the religion, calling them apostates because they reject the Islamization of politics and the state. This needs to be fought by every Muslim within our own countries, and the voices need to be augmented. That's the only way to defeat this. We should all be able to. Just as when Europe was going through its 30 years war, it spread from country to country to country. But the reformers knew who they all were. The modern interpreters of the Enlightenment theories knew who they were from country to country, and that created a bond. Yes, a lot of it ended violently, and I think that's where... The Muslim world is headed right now. The Islamists will not go away peacefully into the night. They want power any way possible, and they enrage by using social media. So instead of just defending ourselves, that we're, oh, we're good Muslims, don't call us non-Muslims, don't do takfir against us. Instead of doing that, why don't we create an offense? Why aren't we calling them the blasphemers of Islam by being the ones calling up blasphemy and apostasy, saying that you should never do such a thing in Islam. That free speech means the ability to openly reject God, reject Islam. There is no idea that deserves protection. Only human beings deserve protection to live in a laboratory where they can be free. And that Islamism is an abomination. Theocracy is an abomination and has failed every time. And we Muslims don't need to continue to be proven over and over again that theocracies like Iran, like the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, like the Saudi Wahhabis, over and over are disasters to humanity. Why don't we do that? That needs to happen. When we come back, let's look at reforms in Saudi Arabia as we do political Islam across the world. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today, the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. What are you talking about? Of course you did that. It's what you do. It's your job. Thank you. Even if there was no funding for it, even if there was a dispute, a labor dispute, and there's no funding, and the bank, is, we had no money to do it. I figured out a way to do this without raising your taxes, and we did What? What? That's what you're, you're supposed to do. That's your job. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Hope you're all enjoying your summer. It is another great year. I'm, I'm honored to be able to host uh, this podcast and uh, have you all be a part of the conversation week to week. If you're new, hope you're looking for that voice of reason, that voice in Islam among Muslims that is willing to take on the hardest issues to take on the responsibility that the house of Islam is broken. It needs to be fixed. And it is up to not repair from the top down, from, but from the bottom up. Bottom up repair. That's what we talk about here. I had the blessings to live in the United States, based here in Arizona. And uh, um, I can do this work that you just can't do anywhere else. And one of the most places you cannot do this is in supposedly the motherland of Islam, which is Saudi Arabia, where the Grand Mosque is based, the direction to which we Muslims pray five times a day, and yet that country remains one of the most draconian theocracies on the planet, that country remains a example of theocratic fascism, of being frozen in time, led by a single tribe that has empowered a Wahhabi fundamentalist militant interpretation of Islam that has very little chance at recovery. Now, we heard in the last six months, and now especially a few weeks ago, you saw videos of women driving for the first time, and MBS, the crown prince who came from obscurity as a young 30-year-old now, bypassed many of his brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and great-uncles and grandfathers and others in this family in which uh muhammad salman is has i think 12 wives and god knows how many children in this unbelievably polygamous pathological family misogynistic anti-semitic on and on and yet he was her- heralded tom friedman basically uh soiled himself talking about how happy he was that uh, uh, MBS has uh, taken the reins and is going to demonstrate the courage to take on the entrenched royal family. Written uh, piece after piece after piece praising MBS, and even there's audio of him at a Saudi-funded think tank in, the, in Washington saying, F those who won't believe that bin Salman is actually doing any reforms worth Talking about, He's changing ossification uh, of hundreds of years that he has brought forward. So let's talk about this. I've talked about this before. I've mocked the world wrestling entertainment, WWE Rumble and Riyadh. That somehow that was a metaphor for a Saudi reform as that happened a few months ago. And I think epitomized where he had fake wrestling bringing fake reforms. And now the women driving, yeah, step forward, step forward. Now, I wanted to talk to you because I read a piece this week by Simon Henderson from a few weeks ago. And he talked about how MBS, basically Saudi Arabia, hit the brakes on reform. Surprise, surprise. We called it, didn't we, on this program. All it took was a few women driving. And now they started to assemble together. 13 were reported to have been arrested, mostly women. Nothing to do with the driving issue. They campaign against guardianship rules, which require Saudi women to receive permission from a male relative before making many life decisions like traveling. In 2016, Luyan al Hathul at the One Young World Summit with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry at the time was arrested. She was arrested, obviously, but she's been with them in the past. So MBS probably wants to seek to stop protests, to stop assembly, to stop a movement. Now here's the key, and we'll get into a little more of the details of what happened. Here's the key. And Henderson makes a good point. Remember, Saddam was heralded as a moderate initially. Because he brought secularism, he was a dictator, a tyrant. But he brought secularism and appeared to push back the Islamists. Much like Assad. The Ba'ath party is a socialist, fascist, secular, nationalistic, Arabist party. So it was anti-Semitic, it was Arabist, but it was socialist, almost communist, and had nothing to do with Islamism. And yet, towards the end of his reign, Saddam, like all of these dictators, picked up The Hamas cause picked up, added the Arabic language to the flag of Iraq, the Quranic language, in order to appeal to the Islamists. Similarly, the Saudis have been funding Islamism around the world, except in their own country, because there's a lot of ideology ideology in common between Islamism and Saudi Wahhabism. They loved funding with the Bin Talal Center and The Center for Christian-Muslim Understanding in Georgetown. They love funding these centers because it allowed the anti-Western, anti-Israel phenomena for building the ideology of an Islamic jihad, of Salafi jihadism, if you will. Back to Saudi Arabia. So, MBS is not imprisoning Wahhabis, Twitter radicals. No, Nobody of the 90% Twitter activity that's militant Salafi jihadis is being arrested. No. The ones that were being arrested were the activist women that were assembling. The ones that were being arrested were the women who went too far to not only celebrate driving but celebrate freedom. Perhaps wanting to remove their face veil so they weren't anonymous. This guy's turning into a strong man. He wants to be clear that the reforms will only happen of what he calls, not what the people call. So to those of you who believe that reforms can happen top down, never. It needs to be organic. It needs to come from individuals who are writing poetry, writing music, talking about freedom, making errors, but also repairing their ways. You can't repair your ways and be human through the direction of a spoon-fed, silver spoon-fed thug. And that's exactly what MBS is. Simon Henderson talks about the bullet story, where MBS was 22 and he went to a build, he went to build a business career, and he needed a Saudi judge to sign off on a deal. But there was a problem with the contract, as Henderson says, so the judge declined. MBS then pulled a bullet out of his pocket, put it on the man's desk, and said, "You will sign, or this is for you." <laughs> The man signed the contract, but complained to then-King Abdullah, who banned MBS from the royal court. Didn't like his method, didn't like his strong arms, his bullying tactics. Later, Mohammed bin Salman seems to have changed his mind, the, the father, if you will, by appointing MBS the crown prince. So, the short fuse, the violent trends, the draconian fascistic methods... ultimately are part of the way he was raised. So it appears, just like Saddam started off appearing to be secular and bringing fashion and music and other things to Iraq, it ended up becoming a prison state, the most horrific fascist Arab state in the Middle East that then ultimately was brought to an end, thankfully with the american invasion and saddam's poor estimation of what president bush's response would be to his refusal his refusal in 19- president bush senior <laughs> refusal to withdraw from kuwait and then ultimately after 9/11 iraq's not only involvement with al qaeda and others But the WMD issue. Now we can get into that debate if you want, but bottom line is is that he turned into a tyrannical fascist. And there's no doubt that MBS is going to head that way too. Listen, I come from a family that knows these Arab tyrants that fought against them. Our families continue to fight against them in Syria. And the top-down phenomena of reform, uh, genocide in Syria is not reform. To blame ISIS and radical Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood for the reasons to employ the methods Assad is using is not reform. that's evil. So at the end of the day, it can only happen bottom up, bottom up, ladies and gentlemen. And when we talk, I don't believe that's going to happen in Saudi Arabia unless they have revolution just like they did in Tunisia and Libya, Syria. Yes, it's failing miserably in some of those nations, not Tunisia. But the rest of those nations, it's failing miserably. But I think the windows towards maturity is often failing miserably. But it will never be through top-down reform. There's nowhere in history in which leaders and tyrants have willfully handed over power. Billions and the families reign on the branches of governments that keep them in control. That just will not happen. It's never happened. And I don't believe it will. When we come back, let's look now towards the West. Turkey and then France, as to what's happening with political Islam. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr.
1: Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. So, we're talking about where's the status, what's the update on the conflicts and the pushback or the advancement of political Islam around the world. Talked briefly in the first segment about Indonesia, then Saudi Arabia's so called reforms. Uh, Remember, Saudi Arabia has declared the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization. I'll go back and listen to last week if you didn't hear it. Uh, I talked about why the Muslim Brotherhood should be a terrorist organization, is a terrorist organization, and we should designate it as such. But today, what's the West doing with political Islam? We talked a few segments ago, uh, a few uh, weeks ago, about Austria and Austria. While some of this may may run south of our constitution, I do think there's some wisdom in some of what they've done. The Turks, as they've been doing deeply into the West, they've done it here in Baltimore, building the largest mosque in the United States under the unashamed open auspices of the religious order of Turkey, of the, of the religious arm of the Turkish government called the Diyanet, opened the Diyanet Center, in the suburbs of Baltimore, to the tune of something greater than ten million dollars, or something. And does those do those imams say anything against Turkey? Anything against Erdogan? Anything against political Islam? Against the AKP? The the large centers, if you will. I doubt it. Who knows? Who knows what the ultimate goal is unless we shed a light on what these Turkish mosques and their foreign infiltration are doing. And when you look at the verbiage coming from Erdogan's government, tell me you can't be nervous and shouldn't repulse from the fact that they're building DNA centers abroad. Well, we sat silent. By, By the way, American Muslim leaders, not just Turkish ones, but from the United States Muslim Coalition, which is a basically Muslim Brotherhood lobbying front in the United States, decided to go on Erdogan's dime or some front organization for the AKP party to go and be there right after the election last couple weeks ago and congratulate Erdogan on their win, publicly saying that he brings continued democracy and leadership to Turkey. And these are American citizens. American citizens. Naim Big from the Dar al hijra Center in Northern Virginia, one of the largest mosques and has produced a lot of the leaders of the Islamic Society of North America from that mosque, is one of the main people quoted in the pieces talking about that. And I, as a Syrian-American, can tell you, if you look at one of the countries primarily responsible for radicalizing the re- Syrian revolution and empowering the Muslim Brotherhood, Jabhat al-Nusra, and other radical groups, it is the Turkish government. So the chancellor in Austria, Sebastian Kurz, said the government is shutting a hardline Turkish nationalist mosque in Vienna and dissolving a group called the Arab Religious Community that runs six mosques. They use the 2015, 2015 law that prevents religious communities from getting funding from abroad. Interior Minister Herbert Kickel said the residence permits of around 40 imams that oversee Turkish mosques are being reviewed because of concerns about such financing. So, uh, more power to them. You know, the United States should have prohibited foreign funding of mosques a long time ago. Again, I always use the example of Shia radicalism. Shia radicalism exists in the United States, but because the flow of money from Iran into the United States was extremely difficult, if not impossible, because of the sanctions... The Shia population was much less influenced by radical Khomeinism, obviously not absent, but significantly much less than the Sunnis were, and that's why Hezbollah did not complete operations in the United States for the most part, other than some examples, other than a few examples, while Sunni radicalism from ISIS to the Ikhwan Muslim Brotherhood to Al-Qaeda and others has been far too prevalent. So Austria is addressing this. Pieces are talking about it. So I was talking to you this week about political Islam and what's happening in its confrontation. Where are the Muslim voices confronting this? Where? So far all we hear about is sympathies from American Muslims about Turkey. And yet day after day we are seeing examples and evidence that Erdogan is turning into a cultish tyrant, imprisoning tens of thousands of professors, torturing journalists, saying that people who disagree with him are apostates, doing exactly what Muhammad Morsi was doing with the Brotherhood in Egypt. And the opposition in Turkey finds themselves continuing to be marginalized because they don't dominate state media and aren't able to sway public opinion to do the sort of rent-a-mob that does demonstrations. And there are a lot of true believers that Erdogan has cultivated and fertilized in his 15-plus years of rule. But where is Turkey headed? The response from Erdogan to what Austria did was that ultimately this was a declaration of war. That ultimately there would be hell to pay for the West, for Austria, for kicking out their imams. He's not only strongly criticized it, but he said, as it was obviously, according to him, anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim, Islamophobia, bigoted, etc., on and on. He said, these measures taken by the Austrian Prime Minister are, I fear, leading to the world toward a war between the cross and the crescent. Look at the language. He, he strikes himself to be the new caliph of the new Ottoman Empire, of the new Ottoman caliphate. The caliph of the crescent part of the world, which is the land of Islam, and the rest being Dar al- Harp, or the land of war. This is where Erdogan is. He remains a member of NATO. As I testified to Congress, that should be suspended. He remains a member of economic significant economic benefit. And soon you're going to be hearing about legislation coming through the Senate looking to exert significant limitations upon economic trade between the U.S. and Turkey and beginning to contain them which I think is long overdue and I would strongly support. I'll bring you details of that legislation as it gets closer and as it's introduced. Uh, But um, check out my Twitter feed. I tweeted out some uh, uh, initial mentions of that legislation, and I think it'll be important. We need to contain Qatar. We need to contain Turkey. We need to contain Iran. Iranian sanctions are in. These governments that are run by folks that are deeply and openly frontline agonists, protagonists of the Islamists, of the Muslim Brotherhood, of as Qatar is, of the AKP, as Turkey is, and as the Khomeinists are in Iran, they need to be contained because their ultimate desire is to weaken the West and create Islamic, Islamist hegemony. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the changes of reform that France has been talking about. And a few parting comments. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform
0: This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck program. Mike Lee is uh, joining us now. Hello, Senator. How are you, sir? Doing great, Glenn. Good to be with you. Uh, good. <laughs> you're so even keeled always. Hey, you didn't get the Supreme Court nominee. Ah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. No, you're not. Come on, you wanted it. I let the president has made a choice, and but was there any time that you just let go and went? That would be cool. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, one has to do that every once in a while. And uh, it was a brief few moments when I allowed myself to think that. But wow, the Glenn Beck program. <laughs> Zudi
1: Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of reform this. We're talking about pushback, offense versus the repulsive encroachment of political Islam, Islamist movements around the world, from Indonesia to Turkey to Austria, France and elsewhere. Now, what's happening in France? I've had my differences, as many people have with Macron and some of his issues. But ultimately, something that is an anathema to the United States right now is the president And France has basically talked about addressing Islamic reform. Now, when we talk about that here in the United States, even President Trump in the campaign, or I think after mentioned the word reform, and then I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about how the State Department is looking at this and all hell broke loose in the left saying that it's no business of this government getting into reform issues within a faith. And uh, my response was, wait a minute, this country was founded on fighting theocracy, this country was founded on being pro-liberty. So, no, the government's not going to get into strains of Sharia and interpretations, but it is going to get into promoting those who believe in liberty. It is going to be getting into those who reject theocracy. It is going to be getting into naming those as enemies who promote theocracy. So I think that's very American. Now, Macron is being much more open about it. Macron, basically, in power for a little over a year, has been struggling with more and more evidence of populations within that are militant. Now, we know that one of the leaders of political Islam in Europe, and some of its pseudo-modernizations, Tariq Ramadan, is finally having to address some of his behind-the-scenes duplicity that many of the victims, some of whom have reported to be rape victims, one he admitted to having a relationship with, um, have uh, been uh, talking about ultimately addressing things that nobody else would. We'll see what happens. Islamists are all on uproar that Tariq Ramadan is being attacked because he is Muslim. Khalid al-Dabu al An Islamic scholar, and I think he's still at UCLA, put out a piece saying that this smacks of the Dreyfus affair, which I think is offensive, because Tariq Ramadan is a duplicitous Islamist snake who has played the West, who has repeatedly as, as I'd ask you to read Carolyn Forrest's write-up on him, and I've written a number of editorials about him, but Carolyn Forrest really did uh, a number of books about it, and then ultimately exposed how he would say one thing in Arabic and another in English, and his language was just extremely dissimulative. So, this is not just about Tariq Ramadan, but what is France doing against political Islam? And Ultimately, I think Tarik Ramadan is a symptom of what's happening in France, a good symptom of improvement. He wants to replace or reform the Council of french Musliman or the French-Muslim Council that was established in 2003 by former President Nicolas Sarkozy when he was Minister of the Interior in Jacques Chirac's central right government. The council has failed to assert itself as the voice, principal voice of Islam in France. It's been seen by many observers as simply prominent Muslim figures that get brought up to platforms when necessary. Uh, But at the end of the day, presidential advisors, as it says in reports, even admit that determined reformer involving himself, such as Macron, in the affairs of religion can be very sensitive territory. But he wants to root out, root and branch, overhaul, with the funding of mosques, the training of imams, etc. He talked about his roadmap for Islam in France with academic and political figures in the Arabian Gulf and elsewhere. And we saw a little detail about what was actually discussed. So, you know, hats off to... Macron because first of all he's not just talking about radicalism he's talking about radical islam he's talking about political islam he's talking about the rejection of laicite the rejection of french nationalism so that's the problem and they're finally getting it david cameron prime minister cameron in in london in england used to talk about muscular liberalism And the Islamists responded by saying muscular liberalism is a jingoistic term that is about colonialism, that is about taking away the influence of Muslim populations, which is complete nonsense. Liberty should be advanced as the offense against political Islam. Liberty, muscularly, is muscular liberalism. That's what's missed. Some of the European leaders are addressing it. Cameron lost, left as a result of Brexit, and now you have Theresa May, who I think was very weak on on Islamism before getting in uh, to uh, position. Now she's been strong on calling out radical militants, but has yet to really get a voice on Islamism. One of the Islamists that were Brotherhood sympathizers gave Macron a a scathing mockery as France's new sun king, a reference to not only Louis XIV's notorious vanity, but the monarch's calculated persecution of a religious minority, the Protestant Huguenots. The blogger Arumi criticized Macron for the figures he used to consult not only the chief rabbi and a former advisor to Zine din Ben Ali the Tunisian dictator but the fact that he had ignored that main council of muslims which i think is a perfect example of how the brotherhood legacy groups are a pathological entities that should be marginalized and ignored if you're going to reform against islamism So, no, the answer should not be what the old dictators in the Middle East had controlling Islam and their states. And I hope that's not what Macron's talking about, not as a top-down reform, but as a bottom-up one to bring in diverse voices from the left and the right of of lay Muslims, of Muslims that know their scripture but yet reject the Sharia Islamization of the Islamist theocrats, that reject the identity of the Islamic states, the jihadist identity of its movements, and can embrace the ideas of our Muslim Liberty Project and of our, especially of our Muslim Reform Movement. The Muslim Reform Movement has a declaration that's two pages. Those would be the principles that I hope. A Trump administration that looks at creating a commission on radical Islam can begin to put together as the Western leaders, rather than these exaggerated impacts of pictures around tables with Trump sitting down and all these other things that are capturing the attention of the West about things President Trump hiccups or says or doesn't say, how about looking at some bigger problems and what's happening in these four years, maybe eight years? of the Trump administration what's France doing against political Islam what's our response to that I think a lot of it's good some of it's bad but it needs a conversation what's happening in Austria are we talking about it in Austria they said pushing back against not only the Turkish infiltration of foreign mosques but political Islam it's all about political Islam They're finally starting to talk about it. But the United States still lags far behind. But you're not behind if you're listening to Reform This. I think you're getting it more than others do. Engage. Be part of the solution. Spread the word about Reform This and this podcast and others. And we will continue to grow this very important movement of reform against the biggest ideological threat to mankind today, which is political Islam and its theocracies in so many Muslim majority countries and upwards of a quarter of the world's population. Thanks for being with me week to week. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network.